0: Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dharma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dharma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.
1: Tonight is the 27th out of, I guess, now thirty-four.
0: I
2: think 34.
1: 34 classes of this jhana meditation study, which has been wonderful. This is the fourth of the Anapanasati Sutta. Uh, if you haven't heard the previous talks, uh, please do so. Uh, I, I took a screenshot because I always like to like remember what this is all about. And uh, an example of skillful and effective Dhamma practice. And I think this sutta is a perfect example of that. And this final section, this seven factors of awakening is probably the, the most positive and encouraging teaching that you know we encounter. It's, it shows the Buddha encouraging us putting things together for us and always coming back to this practices about the in-breath and the out-breath and being mindful of that. So 2,600 years ago, the Buddha and senior monks and groups of five and 10 and 40 students did what we just did. Absolutely no different. And in this teaching, the Buddha went through repetitive, which I love, describing what this jhana meditation is. And this final part of the teaching is again, I think one of the most, as Mary said, positive and encouraging teachings. It's what you'll notice as you develop your concentration and your refined mindfulness. And not that all these factors have to be developed in a linear fashion, Just know that all these factors are within you from the very beginning, from the very first time you decide to come to one of these classes with that speck of dust. It's the same factors that exist then as they do at this moment for myself and me in 20 years. It's how I decide how I develop my concentration and mindfulness. So let's get into this. Seven factors of awakening, the Buddha speaks. And how are the four foundations of mindfulness appropriately developed so as to bring the seven factors of awakening to the culmination? Whenever a monk remains focused on the body free of distraction, ardent, alert, And mindful while putting aside craving and distress for reference to the world, their mindfulness is steady and continuous. These are John's comments. Steady and continuous mindfulness is a quality of mind that is supported by concentration developed through jhana meditation. Nearing the conclusion of this teaching, the Buddha is again emphasizing mindfulness in the breath, in-breath and out-breath to develop concentration in order to support the refined mindfulness necessary to direct the mind, to hold the mind, the factors of awakening, the heart would. The Buddha continues, when mindfulness is steady and continuous, then mindfulness as a factor of awakening becomes directed. When mindfulness is steady and continuous, it forms the foundation for the culmination of its development. Remaining mindful in this way, they examine this quality of mindfulness with discernment, or right view, they develop understanding of this quality of mindfulness. When one remains mindful in this way, examining and developing understanding of this quality of mindfulness, with discernment then mindfulness of certain qualities as a factor of awakening (laughs) arise. This is how right mindfulness is established as a factor, a quality of awakening. Now this mindfulness is not any different than Right mindfulness, as John pointed out. It's not a different topic. It's not any different than what's described in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Simply being mindful of inhalation and exhalation, the in-breath and out-breath. Even this basic level is the beginning of mindfulness of awakening. So again, the Buddha from the very beginning is encouraging us that this isn't a like a a practice where there's different levels, there's different developments, but a person, their very first day has an opportunity to experience this mindfulness. The Buddha continues. When one examines and comes comes to the comprehension of mindfulness as a factor of awakening, then with discernment, investigation of the Dhamma arises. When investigation of the Dhamma arises in one who examines and comes to comprehension of that quality with discernment, then investigation of the Dhamma arising as a factor of awakening becomes aroused. This is how investigation of the Dhamma is established as a factor, a quality of awakening. So what's investigation of the Dhamma? Is it analysis? Is it intellectual? Is it done on the cushion? I guess it's all those things, but it shouldn't be grasped after or seen as a a goal. You shouldn't get off your cushion and try to figure out why you're not getting it. It's an opportunity to really be honest with what you're encountering. You know, once your mindfulness is refined enough as things arise, I think it's natural to look at like the unskillful qualities that arise, you know, the fear, the, the anxiety, the, the, old resentments. Those are the things that are easy to see, but at the same time, investigation should also be what is skillful. You know, when love and kindness is there, acknowledge that and explore that and see if it's within the framework of the the Four Noble Truths, or is it just something that is going to pass and really isn't attached to the to the uh, your practice, so it's a it's a natural investigation of the Dhamma. It, it flows from the mindfulness that's being developed. So there's a difference to encountering something and analyzing it and contemplating it, and that's not what this is. It's an honest encounter with that eye-making that can only come when your refined mindfulness is honed and developed. And that's why, even though this isn't a linear process, a certain level of mindfulness has to be present to investigate really honestly. And that only comes from our jhana meditation. So you can see how this is anchored by Chana meditation and refined mindfulness. Again, it's it's not a linear thing. You don't have to accomplish this to go on to the next one. I think anyone who's ever read any modern Buddhist texts, that's a that's a step-by-step thing, and you can't possibly ever investigate unless you're at the culmination of mindfulness. That's not what this is about. Someone with their first day can investigate, but be careful. It's not exactly what you'll encounter once you've developed your mindfulness. The Buddha continues, when one who examines and comes to comprehension of investigation of the Dhamma arising as a factor of awakening with discernment, persevering effort arises. When persevering effort arises in one who examines, analyzes, and comes to comprehension of that quality with discernment, then persevering effort arises as a factor of awakening, becomes aroused. This is how persevering effort is established as a factor of awakening. I've taught this once before, and the thing that really struck me was John's choice of persistence. is often read as energy, but the persistence that you've put together this jhana meditation and developing mindfulness, and now you're investigating, that should excite you. That should push you forward to want to understand what you're encountering and not grasp after, but just it, it should be a force. It should be something that propels your practice. And uh, I certainly see this in myself that every sit I'm encouraged, whether it's a bad sit or a good sit, it it's, it's pushes me forward with that persistence to keep going because I see the, the benefits and also see the challenges and I don't judge either one. <clears throat> the Buddha continues. When one whose persevering efforts arises, joyful engagement with the Dhamma arises. When joyful engagement with the Dhamma arises in one who's persistent is aroused, then joyful engagement with the Dhamma as a factor of awakening becomes aroused. This is how joyful engagement with the Dhamma is established as a factor, a quality of awakening. When one is joyfully engaged with the Dhamma, the body grows calm and with the mind grows calm. When the body and mind of the monk is joyfully engaged with the Dhamma, then tranquility as a factor of awakening arises. This is how tranquility is established as a factor of quality of awakening. So tranquility is that calm. So at the same time of being joyfully engaged, and you should be joyfully engaged. Ram said it before class. It really is a, a requirement to be joyfully engaged with what we're doing. It's it, This isn't a burden on us. This isn't being forced on us. No one's judging us on what we're accomplishing this is a in many ways a solitary practice but it should be joyful you should be joyful of the things that you're recognizing as working that you're you're aware you're you're more in tune with your mind versus just being scattered or focusing on this broken self that you may have had in the past, you know, this thinking that now this joyful engagement, again, propels you, you know, this persistence and joyful engagement to me is everything that gets me up in the morning and, you know, I'll go home and sit for 30 minutes. And that is the propulsion of this practice and that calmness
2: is yeah he, he's what he just said the, the body grows calm with with this joyful engagement yeah um, that's really deep
1: and it's that it's not the goal it's not the goal to be happy or joyous it's just the result of it it's acknowledgement it's acknowledgement, a, it's
0: acknowledgement. Of what, of yeah it's a good point to bring out yeah it's
1: again it's all things are impermanent. So to grasp onto this joyous engagement it isn't the point. It's it's just a byproduct of it. And it it should be seen as impermanent, just as uh any of these factors. These are just I used to think these were like kind of these landmarks of doing well, but these. Like I said, these all exist all at the same time
0: as qualities of mind. As qualities
1: of mind. You know, these the Dhammas are infinite, but these are the these are the factors that should be always what you're aware of. So uh, again, only a calm mind can be in a place where they can possibly see this a distracted mind is always grasping at whatever's particularly in a fancy a calm mind a tranquil mind is only one that's been developed through jhana meditation and mindfulness you're mindful of your surroundings you're mindful of the reality so again the buddha is just always encouraging us to to keep these things in mind The Buddha continues, when one who is tranquil, the body and mind calm, the mind develops concentration. When the mind of one who is tranquil and is well concentrated, then concentration as a factor of awakening arises. This is how right concentration is established as a factor of quality of awakening. These are John's comments. Here the Buddha is bringing the four foundations of mindfulness and the purpose of jhana meditation to its ultimate culmination to establish concentration as the primary purpose of meditation. It is a well-concentrated mind that supports the refined mindfulness necessary to support the integration of the Eightfold Path as a framework of awakening. The Buddha continues. When one who is concentrated is established, equanimity arises. When equanimity arises, then equanimity as a factor of awakening arises. This is how equanimity is established as a factor for awakening. Equanimity is that balance. Through a calm mind, you can concentrate. And then you can evolve your mindfulness. Equanimity is that if you think back to the jhana teachings, all these kind of, you can see where the different jhanas lay out against this. In the fourth foundation, or the, four, the fourth jhana, equanimity occurs. Furthermore, one remains mindful of the quality of the mind in reference to the four noble truths. Remain mindful of knowing that this is stress understanding dukkha, the first noble truth. This is the origination of stress. Craving originates and clinging maintains dukkha, the second noble truth. This is the cessation of stress, experiencing the equanimity that results in the, from the cessation of craving and clinging arising from ignorance, the third noble truth. This is the Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of stress, developing and fully integrating the Eightfold Path fourth noble truth in this way one remains mindful of the quality of mind free of distraction internally and externally one remains mindful of the phenomenon of the origination of qualities of mind and their arising and passing away there is the knowledge of this the maintenance of quality of mind and their recollection independent of and not clinging to anything in the world this how one remains mindful of the seven factors of awakening in and of themselves. Here, the Buddha is bringing together the four foundations of mindfulness developed during meditation and remaining mindful of each factor of the Eightfold Path. Emphasis is on the importance of remaining mindful of the impermanent nature of all phenomenon clinging to qualities of mind. their arising and passing away of all self-referential thoughts and attachmental fabrications. When seen in its proper context, mindfulness of the arising and passing away of all internal and external phenomenon develops useful and appropriate insight into the impermanence of all phenomenon.
2: This,
1: so John's gonna be going through the three marks of existence. The appropriate insight into the impermanence of phenomenon, Nietzsche. The misunderstanding of what constitutes a self, the not-self characteristics, anatta, and the resulting confusion, deluded thinking, and ongoing disappointing experience, dukkha. This is how insight, the only insight deemed significantly important by the Buddha, is appropriately developed. Those were John's comments. The Buddha continues, I came to direct knowledge of fabrications, direct knowledge of origination of fabrications, direct knowledge of cessation of fabrications, and a direct knowledge of the eightfold path leading to the cessation of fabrications. Now, this this is another encouraging part that we should all take note. Now, if anyone develops these four foundations of mindfulness in the manner for seven years, one can expect either complete understanding here and now, or if there are any clinging, maintaining, remaining in this present life, let alone seven years, if anyone perfectly develops these four foundations of mindfulness in the manner for in this manner, for six or five or four or three or two or one year, for six months or three months or one month, for two weeks, for seven days, one can expect either complete understanding And now, of here and now, if there are any clinging and maintaining remaining in this present life. Friends, this is a direct path of purification for all beings, for the cessation of sorrow and regret for the disappearance of pain and distress, for the establishing the right method of practice, and for their complete unbinding, in other words, these four foundations of mindfulness. When one is mindful of the arising and passing away of all internal external phenomenon, their mind and body unite, their quality of mind established in concentration and equanimity, the development of four foundations of mindfulness bring the seven factors of awakening to culmination. This is how the four foundations of mindfulness are appropriately developed so as to bring the seven factors of awakening to their usual culmination. And how are these seven factors of awakening appropriately developed as to bring right understanding, right view and release from clinging, wrong view and ignorant views to their culmination? When one develops mindfulness in this manner as a factor of awakening, mindfulness is established on seclusion, establishing on dispassion, established on cessation, establishing relinquishment of clinging to ignorant views. Two, they develop investigation of the Dhamma as a factor of awakening. Three, they develop persistence as a factor of awakening. Four, they develop joyful engagement as a factor of awakening. Five, they develop tranquility as a factor of awakening. Six, they develop concentration as a factor of awakening. And finally, they develop equanimity as a factor of awakening. These seven factors of awakening are dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, and dependent on cessation. These seven factors of awakening when fully developed Result in the relication really of all views rooted in ignorance of the four noble truths. This is how the seven factors of awakening are appropriately developed so as to bring right understanding, right view, and release from clinging of ignorant views to their culmination. This is what the Buddha said, gratified, the monks delighted in the Buddha's words.
2: Thank you, Timothy.
1: Keep in mind the Simsapa Sutta. This is always Buddha keeping us within a framework of only the Eightfold Path. It's, it's, you know, to go back to like investigation, you know, what do you investigate? You investigate the skillful qualities and the unskillful qualities. What more do you need to? really investigate and our jhana practice prepares us for that so you know there's much out there to know in the world but for us in this practice you know that handful of leaves is it is plenty for us so uh let's go around the room who was first was that mary allen Mary Ellen, you're first.
3: Yes, David Ellen. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, thank you. Very well done. Um, you know, very beautifully pulls together rem- the reminder that it's all based on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, um, the three marks of existence that even with awakening the factors of awakening rise and pass away and then i think what's also interesting is as with other sutras is recognizing what is there and what isn't there and so recognize when you are experiencing joyful engagement but also recognize when you may not be and i think sometimes we think that You know, we're just going to end up in this happy, sustained state. And it seems to me that there will still continue to be, um, you know, a disturbance or a distraction, but it's easily recognized, Um, it's not clung to, it's released, and you go on, you know, with your day or whatever you're experiencing. So, I think this is just a very uplifting sutta, very positive because it states very clearly that yes, you too can awaken and you can do it yourself. And um, everything that you need to do it is right here. And so, if we can get out of our own way and um, get to it, um, you know, this will happen for each and every one of us.
1: So thank you David. Thank you Mary. Thanks Mary. Yeah, it's uh all things roll back to the three marks of existence having insight to that impermanence that it's it, it it's just being aware and you can only be aware if you're Of calm mind. So it's nicely put together for us, and you know, just have to keep in mind what this practice is and what this practice isn't. So, uh, Slav, how are you tonight?
4: Doing good, thank you. Um, Thank you there for teaching, and uh, obviously. Anapanasati is my uh, favorite sutta and and, uh, it's first sutta, which I starting a long time ago, uh, my uh, steps to Buddhism and even uh, kind of like every time when I come across Anapanasati sutta, it makes me laugh because I remember uh, when I read first time, I start to practice short breaths. I make it short, long breaths. I make it long. Until I have discussion with one uh, Theravada monk. I told him how I practice Anapanasati. He was laughing. He said, you don't have to do anything with breath. You just be present. It's kind of like you listen to your breath. You don't do anything. Yeah, and um, it's very straightforward. And precise path to enlightenment, and seven factor of uh, enlightenment, and one is investigation. Buddha uh, always mentions this. Uh, you don't believe what I say? You have to see yourself, and you have to see impermanence. <laughs> you have to see what is dukkha. You have to see non-self how you combine this so basically see from day one kind of like in, invite us to investigation thank you i really appreciate it. thank you, thank you. Wow.
1: yeah i've been thinking a lot of you know we always as, associate the seven factors and the the hindrances and i've been thinking a lot about you know the hindrance of doubt and I think that's probably the the one that is probably the most uh, insidious, because you know I've heard multiple times over the last probably three weeks how we're hardwired, that we're hardwired, and this is just the way we we are. But and I think that's of that's doubt, you know. It, can this practice really do anything if we're so hardwired? But if you really think about what we're hardwired about, we're hardwired about everything. We're hardwired to be caring. We're hardwired to be fearful. We're hardwired. So in a sense, we're hardwired for everything. But yet this practice is allowing us to, I don't know if it's rewiring it, but just letting us be aware that you know we do have more control over it than, you know, what do we need? We need safety. We want to matter. We want to belong. And that causes fear because that's that. Then what we create this self about is to protect ourselves against that. So, you know, to me, that's what is the beauty of, you know, refined mindfulness. So thank you. For your Jane, how are you today, my friend?
5: I'm wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I like what you said in the beginning that um, it's not about getting off your cushion and saying, okay, I'm going to practice now. It's about taking the refined mindfulness and the calm and using it in your daily life. And as you go out there, I mean, when you see it working, I think that's incentive enough to, yeah. I mean, that generates the enthusiasm to, to keep going. And to be honest, sometimes I find myself just smiling, thinking, you know, how I'm, before I would have not handled the situation the same way. I mean, now I'm just calm, it's not a big deal, it's nothing. But in the past, it would have been enough to, you know, cause a lot of stress. So I think it's just, just by doing it is, you know, is building that, that joy.
1: Yeah, Brian and I had a good discussion this weekend and we just were like talking about some of the things that we were so attached to even like three years ago that just, just you're able to let go. And I think that's what this gradual practice allows for. And uh, we've always talked about this, the simplicity of what this practice has provided us. So to just keep going that, you know, it, it just allows joyful engagement and that, per, you know, being persistent. So that's that, that's driving force. So thank yeah, you.
5: Why to, would you want to stop? You know?
1: <laughs> and as long as you understand that this is this handful of leaves is what it is. And that's all you need. You're not looking for it to be any more special than how special it is. And I, I think that's where people get tripped up is they're they're looking for something more spectacular. And what's more spectacular than having a calm mind and there you go. And not being harmful to yourself or others. I'll, I'll, I'll take that.
5: Me too. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thanks, Jay. Julia.
1: Hello.
5: Thank you, David. This was wonderful. Um, and what everybody shared too, really great stuff. Um, I really liked when you said, um, you know, if we're not mindful, we can't really be honest with ourselves. And it's like that I'm thinking about how I'll I'll have this whole like idea of how I think something is and why I like something so much but then when I like you know it's like I'm wearing glasses and I just like kind of like get the fog off and I really look at it for what it is it's like oh wow like that's not what I thought it was and like I was clinging to it so much and it was more of the idea and the story and the and if I'm not and and, and if I'm mindful in the moment which this practice really gives me um you know then i won't cling to some sort of story or idea like i'll look at something for what it is and just be like huh okay um so i'm uh, yeah that's uh that's all i have to say
1: well thank all you sure. thank you so much Uh
0: brett uh I'm gonna be here thanks for your teaching and there david um i don't know what to say um i got a lot out of it it's good to hear really share um and uh i just keep on practicing and my
2: effort and keep on participating that's what i reminded me to do and keep coming back yeah that's right that's right persistence Yeah. That's right I I got yeah. thank you thank you wrong thank you. ah yeah, you just mentioned uh, the hardwiring. Um, yeah, dependent origination is is the description of, yeah. of the hardwiring, but in the same description there is the the undoing of, yeah. of the hardwiring. Um, so yeah, it's not. There's nothing in inevitable here about how we how we behave. That's right. Concentration and mindfulness can undo all of that with really not a huge amount of effort. It's, you know, nothing's getting beaten to death with. No, it's, it's just understanding and you know, simple undoing. And that's what that
1: gentleness, that requirement of gentleness
2: because uh, any other way works against itself
0: mm. thank you thank you thank you ron mr haspel i guess on the last one but I, I can't believe what was said here tonight beginning with you david um which was incredibly profound how you started this but i gotta say that to me the most important comment was made by brett what did you say Brett? just keep going, right yeah yeah Mm-hmm. And the seven factors of awakening are there. You started with that. It was just, um, I don't know that I've ever said it quite that way, but it's so true that we begin where we end, isn't it? Dharma mm-hmm. practice begins with opening to these seven factors of awakening and it culminates with recognizing, yeah, we've done that mm-hmm. and we're good to go. And it could take seven years or seven days. Um what uh, what, what Julia said was. Very profound, and what she was talking about in that little description was going from a wrong view, just maintaining a fabrication of what's going on, mm. and then recognizing wait a minute, huh? I can see this a different way. A wrong view to right view. Dhamma practice was just that simple. Um, what Mary said, what Jane said, what Rom said about, it, I was thinking the same thing. Um, that when you said hardwired, yeah, we become hardwired ourselves. We do it in dependent origination, as I've really described. He didn't have terms um, like hardwired that we've developed as a society to compensate for our own ignorance. And so when we say that, when I say my mind is hardwired towards smoking cigarettes, I'm good to go with cigarettes, aren't I? Or ignorance or anything else. If I'm hardwired, that's, that is declaring my own hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a horror? But we do it. You know, I probably use that in my own life at some point. And we're almost eager about, yeah, I'm hardwired. I'm hardwired. This is just the way we are as human beings. And we've been saying that since before Siddhartha Gautam awaken And mm-hmm. that's why nothing has changed because we've been hardwired for 2,600 years, and we've been afraid, scared to death, terrified of addressing just that. Start to undo the the, the, the lock nuts. Is mm. what you call? It. And you described it. We begin there and we end there. And it's just by recognizing this and then bringing in doubt into the seven factors of awakening was really getting to something so deep because it is ultimately doubt that keeps us from fully developing the Dhamma But we recognize it. So doubt. Doubt arises in different ways. Julia described it as doubt arises to her was going from that wrong view to right view. Um, Brett addressed it in his way, that there's doubt, I'm going to keep practicing. And Brett is saying, I'm not going to let doubt or anything else stop me. That's joyful engagement with the dominant. I you know we recognize our own benefit. He, he just did an incredible job. The last thing I'll say is after listening to Matt and the other teachers over the last couple of years, and then. Um, what, what all of you bring, what Ron brought to tonight's class and Mary, uh, the Dhamma is incredibly simple and easy to learn. And you're an example of that. I don't think I'm the world's greatest Dhamma teacher. In fact, I know I'm not. And because you guys have done at least as good a job as I have with a lot less experience. So it, it, we're, we're, in, we're in good hands as far as that's concerned. And we're going to keep developing these. Seven factors of awakening, class by class. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, John. And everyone.
1: What's our next class,
0: John? Samananga Sutta,
1: Tuesday
0: night. Saturday? Saturday, yes.
1: Well, thank you, everyone. We'll end our class as we always do with Karanita Mevatuta.
3: Hey, David, something just occurred to me while John was talking about it. Sure. That you can. You know, you can take the hard wiring and listen to the stories that you tell yourself and your outcomes can feel inevitable. You know, like you can feel like, this is my life. This is the, you know, whatever path I'm on is going to be inevitable. But imagine flipping that and saying that understanding the seven factors means that awakening is inevitable too. That's
0: right. So I got to say here now, I I was, Practicing wise restraint before, not saying this, but the hell with it. Um, it. It just worked out this way, but Mary is going to be teaching this part of the Satipatthana Sutta uh, on her presentation on our retreat. Uh, so it's going to be uh, very interesting to see the difference, and we'll be able to vote on who's the best Dhamma teacher in the Allen household. Then. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. competition. Thank you, Mary.
1: That's a lot of pressure.
2: It is.
3: You're
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: out yeah, way ahead of me, David. <laughs> yeah. I once read somebody who who's you know set himself up as a, a as a teacher, and, and his comment would always be of somebody who's definitely on the way. I so, said, "Yeah, short of a massive brain trauma, he's he's pretty much there." Yeah. <laughs> Well, again,
1: thank you, everyone. And find your meditation posture. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings they may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away. Those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease.
0: Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.